that poor turtle, one week he's going to make it. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully. Hey, we're in our summer series called The Struggle. It's real. My name is Matt Evans, one of the pastors on our team. And whether you're in our northernmost campus of Hickson, southernmost of Calhoun or in between in, Cal- in uh, Dalton, Ringgold or Chatsworth, welcome to Rockbridge. Thank you so much for being here. So just a little forecasting for you. Uh, we have two more weeks today and uh, next week in our summer series called The Struggle, It's Real. And then we start our August series, kind of our back to school, get regrouping series. It's called We Are Family. And let me just say this in particular, Rockbridge, this is a great series to invite a guest or someone who does not have a church home, does not have a spiritual family to be a part of, because we're going to talk about some misconceptions people have about the church. We're going to talk about what it means that God puts us in a family, uh, and and we're going to talk about that. So you know people maybe who are lonely, who are looking for something more, who are curious about church or Rockbridge. Great series, great series starting in two weeks called We Are Family to invite them into, especially as a lot of people get back into the routine of fall kids' activities and school and things like that. So take advantage of that opportunity. Two weeks, we're all praying that we can all offer invitations and bring someone to church with us during that series that month in August. All right, so we're in this series called The Struggle, It's Real, and I want to zoom out a little bit and just ask everybody to personally identify right now your life, where you are. I just want you to personally identify what are you struggling most with right now. And you can, it could be, hey, I'm struggling with a relationship or finances, or hey, myself or someone I know have a tough diagnosis. There's too many demands on my time, and I just feel stretched too thin. I have zero margin. For some people, hey, I, there's a sin you're battling with. Or, and for all of us, hopefully, we know that there's sin struggles, but it's just really powerful or prevalent in your life. And, and there could be others, and there could be others. So just identify personally with that struggle for just a minute in your spirit. You want to write it down, that'd be great. Uh, as we kind of navigate through this, but not to sound insensitive, because I've sort of led you to do this, but what if that's really not your real struggle? What if that's really not your most uh, difficult or your strongest struggle? What if there's something, what if there's a struggle underneath the struggle? What if this is sort of tip of the iceberg, but underneath the waterline, that there's really something bigger and more important, and that's what we got to look at? What, what if this is kind of the, what you see above ground, but there's something below it that's the root that's driving all of that? And, and so what we want to do today, because this struggle is maybe symptomatic of, of a bigger, more important struggle, but so what we want to do today is we want to try to identify what the real struggle is, the ultimate struggle is, and then we're going to reframe those other struggles, the struggle with my money, the struggle with my job, the struggle with my, the cancer diagnosis, the struggle with my marriage, the struggle with my temper. We just want to reframe that other struggle that we identified a few seconds ago as part of this larger and this more ultimate struggle. And, and that's kind of where we want to aim our attention and, and, and aim God's word here for us together today. So if we go to the Bible, and we're going to be in the book of Romans like we were last week. And if you were here last week, this is kind of like part two uh, of last week's message. So they're kind of going to connect together. And you'll see that in just a minute. If you didn't get a chance to uh, check out last week's or you weren't here, you can always do that on our website, watch the video, download it, uh, or you can pick up a CD 
or something in your lobby. So this is kind of like part two, but Romans 8 is where we're going to be. And, and here we're going to hear in just one word what I think is really the ultimate struggle of all humanity since we've walked away from God. And if that's Genesis chapter 3, or in my story, it's when I was old enough to say yes and say no. Since we've walked away from God, what this real and ultimate struggle is. And here's what Paul says it is. He says, therefore, Romans 8, 1, No condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. And this little word, this big word right here, to me is the word that is the ultimate struggle of the human race. That the real struggle for all of us is to how do we get rid of or how do we deal with this sense of condemnation? So when, I, when we're struggling with a relationship that's not working, there's a sense of, gosh, I'm a failure, they're a failure, we're a failure. If this, that relationship doesn't work out, something might be wrong with me, and that feels condemning. When, when you get addicted to a drug or get addicted to a substance, and that becomes the, the defining characteristic of your life, and you want to get rid of it, but you can't, there's something, you, you, it feels condemning. When you're looking at your financial picture and you can't have and you want to have and you feel like you need to have and you're not going to be a complete person unless you can have, then the financial struggle can feel condemning. Or you look at your financial struggle and you're in debt like way, way, way up here and you just feel like, wow, I have messed up, I've mismanaged, I've spent too much or not been wise enough, and it just can feel condemning. When you get a sickness, and I'm talking a debilitating sickness, then you look at life expectancy and you start thinking, man, I I feel condemned. I'm sentenced to maybe die before I thought I was going to die, or I've got to have to fight a fight I never wanted to fight. And so all of those forces of condemnation just come upon us. You see this if you've ever raised kids, how you can have, they can hear one negative comment at school, and it can undone every positive thing you've done to encourage your son or daughter as a mom or as a dad. And the big questions of life that you and I ask, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What's wrong with me? What are we trying to get answered in those? I don't want to miss my purpose because if I miss my purpose, boom. Who am I? Because if I don't know who I am, boom. And, and that word is just so powerful. Now, you may not be saying that in your conscience or subconscious, but we're all running from this word and trying to feel, oh, as we said last week, trying to deal with self-image or self-esteem or trying to be happy. However you want to phrase it, the ultimate thing that we're looking for is no condemnation. Now, the sources of condemnation come from predominantly about four areas. If you go to the next slide, we'll get those up there and show you. The, the, the sources of our condemnation are as follows. The world. Some of us look to the world for our affirmation and our approval. And then the world looks back at us and laughs. Or, or we can't please the world. Or some of us, we, we live for the appraisal or the approval of other people. And, and so when other people don't give us that, everything from did they like my post on Facebook to did I get, did a date for the prom... When we look to that for others, that can be a source of condemnation. Some of us are self-condemning. We look ourselves in the mirror and think, I'm not doing enough. Or we look ourselves in the mirror and say, man, I have messed up so bad. I am damaged goods. I will never get past that. And then some people have a view of God, have a view of God, and you just feel like God hates you or God's not pleased with you or God can't use you anymore or God's not really at work. 
or interested in your life. And, and so for some of us, it's all four of those sources. For some of us, one is louder than the other. But this represents the ultimate struggle that we're really trying to deal with. And what Paul is going to address in Romans 8 is how to go through that struggle and how we can really have no condemnation. That's what we're wanting for, wanting so deeply and so, so passionately, how we can have that in Christ Jesus. So let's go back to Romans 8, 1, and we'll read uh, probably about a paragraph. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life, so he brings in the Holy Spirit, and he says there's a law of life in Christ Jesus, has set you free, free from condemnation, but free from another way of living. And this is the law of sin, doing things apart from God, which leads to death. So the law of sin and death. So he says there's two laws to sort of live your life by, the law of life that's in Christ and the law of sin, or the law of sin that, that results in death. And so he, he continues, says, so what the law could not do since it was limited, and he brings in a word, by the flesh, I'll define that in a second, God did. So the flesh is humanity. The flesh is you and I. The flesh is you and I minus God. The flesh is what we can make of ourselves apart from God. The flesh is who we think we are apart from God. The flesh is who we make ourselves to be apart from God. The flesh is when we go Burger King and say, God, I'll have it my way. Okay? So that's the flesh. So what the law could not do since it was limited by our humanity, by our own strength, God did. So what did God do? God condemned sin. So there is condemnation, but where did he condemn sin? In the flesh by sending his own son in the flesh like ours under sin's domain. So Jesus came and and he came as a human being with real skin and, and real teeth and real emotions and sin was condemned in Jesus because Jesus was a sin offering. We go to the next one. So, and as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, our human strength, our human power, anything minus God, but who walk according to the Spirit. So Paul right here just introduces there's two ways to struggle. That there's two ways to struggle with the ultimate struggle. And the ultimate struggle is this spirit of or this, uh, this sense of condemnation that we're all trying to silence and run away from and prove that it's wrong. Uh, I'm not condemned. I'm okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with me. So all of that, there's two ways to struggle. There's th- these are the two ways. The first is the flesh. And that is fighting by human methods. And, and, and you, you will do all kinds of things. We'll indulge ourselves because we'll eat something really good and then we'll eat too much of something really good because it tastes good. And that pleasure on our tongue and in our belly makes us feel good about ourselves and thus not condemned. The reason some people start drinking or using a substance is why? To dull pain or to fit in and get the approval of your friends on Friday night. And then one drink and two drinks and three drinks and six months later you're addicted and enslaved and the thing that you wanted now condemns you. Okay, that's indulgence. Sex, feeling, hedonism, all of that, okay? Legalism is using religion and saying, God, I've been to church 25 times this month. I'm good, right? You're proud of me, right, Daddy? Right, God? Legalism is I've got to do certain things and then I feel okay about myself, but you're doing them in and of yourself. 
or just simply outright self-reliance. Like, it's my way, I'm going to do it my way. God, you can stand on the sidelines. Or God, I'm not even sure you're there, even sure you exist. doesn't really matter because I don't really need you anyway. Or, Paul says, there's another way. You can do battle by the Spirit. You can do battle by the Holy Spirit. So, so let, me, let me stop right here. How you struggle with your struggle could be a sin. How you struggle with your bad marriage could be a sin. How you struggle with your financial struggle could be a sin. How you fight your sin struggle could be a sin. Because you can fight this battle against condemnation. You can fight this battle against your cancer or against your divorce or against your difficult job. You can fight it one of two ways. You can fight it in the flesh or if you're a Christ follower, you can fight it in the spirit. So it's not enough to say, hey, I'm struggling with. The, other, the second question is, how are you struggling with it? Are you struggling with it in your flesh? Or are you struggling with it in your spirit? Now, let me, let me speak for just a second. To, to maybe you're not a Christian yet, or you're k- kicking the tires of, of getting back in church, or coming back, or, or maybe even putting your faith in Jesus. Hey, let me just tell you the, the good news here, okay? Because I, I bump into people who aren't Christians and I, over the last 15 years of Rockbridge, and occasionally you'll have someone who, say, who will say something like this, you know, I, I know I kind of need God, but I could never give up, and then they mention a sin, or, or they mention a shortcoming, or they mention a struggle. And here's why, here's why that thinking is so wrong. They're like, and I've heard everything from golf to drinking to everything in between, right? I can never give up women. I can never give up men. I can never give up. So you hear that. And here's what they're thinking. They're thinking that they have to follow God or pursue God or get right with God in the flesh. Here's the good news that Paul's saying. God never wants you to struggle without him. Thus he sends the Holy Spirit. And this is the theological concept, the kind of second half of it that we talked about last week. Theology is kind of what we believe about God. And we introduced last week this concept of union life. Union life means I am in Christ once I put my faith in him, give him the steering wheel, and Christ is in me. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And we said it looks kind of like this. We took two superheroes, Batman and Spider-Man. And we said a lot of us try to do it the Batman way. The Batman way is I'm a billionaire Bruce Wayne and I buy and earn and get all these gadgets and put them on my body and that makes me strong, that makes me okay or uncondemned to use our word for today or today's message. When in reality, what God does is more like Spider-Man in that the, the old spider bites, bites um, the kid and he becomes Spider-Man. So God puts himself in us, his power in us, and that is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That God himself comes to work in our minds, our thoughts, our, our affections, and our desires. And, and so what this does when you see how you struggle is a bigger issue than what you're struggling with, let me say it again, how you struggle is a bigger issue than what you're struggling with, it really changes the questions we ask. Because see, a lot of us, we ask this question, well, is it God's will? Is there anything wrong with it? 
A lot of our questions are, you know, God, how am I going to get through this? God, which college do I go to? Which house do I buy? And this and that. Really, when, when you understand what God is offering us in the Spirit, in union life, Him and us, we and Him, when you understand that, it changes the question. The most important question becomes, is it flesh or is it spirit? Am I going through this in my flesh without God, without dependence on God, without reliance upon God, or am I going through this in the Spirit? In the Spirit. That's the most important question. So consider this, you know, which college do I go to? Here's what I would say. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. How are you going to do college? You're going to do it in the flesh? You're going to do it in the Spirit? Who am I going to marry, God? Who am I going to marry? Okay, once once you're, you, know, you know they're walking with Jesus the same way you're walking with Jesus, then the question is, well, how are you going to do your marriage? Are you going to do your marriage in the flesh, or are you going to do this marriage in the Spirit? So it changes the question, and that's what Paul wants us to understand. This is so prevalent throughout Scripture. I just want to do like an Old Testament, New Testament survey to show you how this is the dominant question of how you orient your life and how you go through your life. Because we've all said this for eight, nine weeks now, the struggle of life is real. And the question is not so much what you're struggling with, church, but how you're struggling with it. And the advantage, if I can use that term, that Christ followers have over non-Christians is not that Christians don't struggle with sin. We do. It's not that Christians will never get cancer. We can and we will and we have. It's not that Christians don't have marital problems or financial problems, just like everybody else. What just differentiates the Christian from the non-Christian is God is a father and hasn't left us as orphans. He has put his spirit in us. And so how we struggle as Christians is we struggle in the spirit versus in the flesh. And that's really, really good news because life's a struggle. So let's look at, why, at how prevalent this theme is in the Scriptures. My favorite two verses, my life verses, are this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In other words, don't do it the Burger King. Have it your way way. Think about Him in all your ways. And this word think will come up in just a few moments, so hold on to that. And, and He will guide you. On the right paths. <clears throat> Zechariah 4 6, powerful verse, says this Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How many of us have ever prayed, God, make me stronger, make me mightier? What if God's not going to answer that prayer? Because He's going to say, It's not by your strength or your might, it's by my spirit. John 15 5. The one who remains in me, here we are, union life, this little phrase, in me, Christ in us, us in Christ, and I in him, that it is, that's union life, produces much fruit, lives a positive, productive life, because you can do nothing without me. And now some of you are like, well, yeah, I can. Let's say it this way, nothing of eternal value, nothing that will result in eternal rewards, nothing that will connect you to God if it's without Him. And then Romans 14, 23 is kind of the boom, the big verse that says this, everything that does not come from faith, everything that does not come from dependence upon God, trust in God, leaning upon God, the Spirit is 
sin. So this is where I get what I said. It's not what you're struggling with, but how you're struggling with what you're struggling with. So Paul wants to show us now, here's how to struggle in the Spirit as opposed to in your flesh or my flesh. So the verse in Romans 8 continues with number 6, verse or 5, excuse me. For those who live, another word for live is walk, your way of life, the way you do life, according to the flesh, think about things of the flesh. This is important because he attaches how you live or how you walk to how you think. Those are almost synonyms in Paul's conversation with us. How you live is related to how you think, okay? They think about the things of the flesh. They think about, we think about doing it without God. We think things like, if it's to be, it's up to me. We think about things, we say it this way, which sounds all cute. Well, God helps those who help themselves. I never saw that in any of the verses I just read, okay? So we think things like that, or we think, well, I'm going to do this my way, or I'm going to do spirituality or sexuality or financials. I'm going to do it all my way. So we think about things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit, and and it's they think about the things of the Spirit. For the mindset, so mindset is how you consistently think and what you set your mind on, of the flesh, anything apart from God, is death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Condemnation, no condemnation. I'm no good. I'm damaged goods. There's a problem with me. I'm not okay. Or I'm apart from God versus life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it says I don't need God in my money. I don't need God in my marriage. I can do it without God until I get really close to the end of my life and then I'll get right with God. There's thousands of ways we can say this. It's hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law or God's order or God's ordained method. For it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that is ultimately where that condemnation lands us is we just can't please God without God. Some of you think you got to get your act together before you come to God. How are you going to get your act together on your own? you got to come to God. But here's what Paul would say is how do we fight? How do we struggle in the Spirit? First thing is we have to recognize this. The struggle always starts in our mind. The victory will always be in your mind too. It will begin in your mind. It is a mindset struggle. That means you have to struggle against what you expose your mind to, the thoughts you think. And listen, don't believe everything you think. Okay? Next time your kid comes home and says, well, I thought that. You say, well, you thought wrong. Okay, if you're because you can think according to the flesh just as easily as you can think according to the spirit, but you can control what you think about. And so the mindset always starts or the, the spirit or the work of God always starts in our mind. So let me run you through what I'll call the cul-de-sac of condemnation. And when you get in this cul-de-sac, it's hard to get out until you change your thinking. Here's the cul-de-sac of condemnation. First is consideration. So you've got a decision to make, a choice, a path, a th- something you've got to do. And, and so you start considering doing it apart from God. 
You consider doing it on your own. You consider doing it in your own way, your own resources, your own time. And, and so you just start, the idea pops in your head, I want to do this my way. And it, won't, it doesn't take any effort for that to pop into your head because if you've got a two-year-old, they've already told you they want to do it your way, okay? And you just move that on into adulthood, and then that's the difference between little kid problems and big adult problems, okay? We just want to do it our way. So we consider that, and then we start rationalizing it and saying, I think I should do it my way because my way is better, or this makes me happy, or this feels good, or this feels right, or I have a peace about it. You can have a peace about it in your flesh, like the guy who jumps out of an airplane and has a peace about what he's doing until he realizes the parachute's not going to work. So your peace can be deceptive. And then capitulation, you surrender, say, I'm just doing it. And then here's what happens as you get in that cul-de-sac exaggeration, because you realize at some point you made a mistake, you did it apart from God, you did it your way, and it didn't work out, or it won't work out, and so the exaggeration comes when Satan, the accuser, starts saying, look at what you've done, you're terrible, you're bad, God has no use for you, God will give up on you, or what you, that mistake you made is the worst mistake in the world, and so what do you start doing? Condemnation. And the exact thing you were trying to avoid, now you're experiencing. Classic story of this in our culture is our culture encourages young women to dress inappropriately. And, 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 all, and just all of this, all of this. And then young women will move down that path and move down that path and move down that path. And then a young woman becomes easy. And then our culture laughs at her as trashy. And condemns her for doing the very thing that our culture encouraged her to do. And, and I could give you thousands of examples. From the beer commercials we see on TV, drink responsibly. <laughs> Somebody's getting rich off your alcoholism. But they're not sitting in a circle of condemnation when you're addicted to something. So you see the condemnation? The world, the self, all of that. But Paul gives us a different way. He says in verse 9, You, however, and if you got your Bible open, here's, I, I just want you to do something. You've probably never highlighted the word however. This is the most important word here. If you get underneath the Greek, it's two letters in Greek, and it really just means the opposite. So what Paul's saying is there's another way to do it. There's another mindset to have. There's another way to think about this. There's another way to struggle with this. How you struggle is more important often than what you're struggling with. So you, however, are not in the flesh. Union life. Christ in us, us in Christ. But in the Spirit. This is what produces union life, the Holy Spirit. Since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. How do you know someone's a Christian or not? How do you know you're a Christian or not? Well, I got baptized. I prayed a prayer. Never find that in Scripture. Do you have the Holy Spirit or not? Are you experiencing Christ in you, you in Christ? Now, if Christ lives in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness that gets put inside of you. If Jesus is now uncondemned at the right hand of God the Father and you're in Christ, are you condemned? Therefore, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, 
Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. You'll rise again. Your physical body will rise again. You have resurrection life. So then, brothers, we are not obligated. You do not have to think and set your mind on the flesh anymore. If you are a non-Christian, that's the only thing you know is doing it your way, doing it your way, doing it your way. And God's offer of salvation is, do you realize that your way is the wrong way and leads to death and my way is the way that leads to life? Would you let me have the wheel and would you walk now with my spirit? So you're not obligated. You're not in debt to think defeating thoughts anymore because the spirit is working inside of you. So you're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So people are like, well, I can't help it. Well, boys will be boys. Well, my granddaddy did it, so I'm going to do it. Well, there's nothing really wrong with it. Well, nobody got hurt. That is thinking defeatism. That is thinking as if you don't have a choice. Let the Word of God set the standard for your experience of life. Do not let your experiences of life trump the Word of God. Live up to the Word of God because Christ is in you. Don't bring God down to your condemning lifestyle because you're not obligated to it. So what Paul is teaching us here is we have to recognize the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, he'll say, those led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So we have to learn to recognize the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And here's how you can begin to recognize the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The leadership of the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish two things in your life, predominantly two things in your life. The first one is captivity. Now, here's what I mean by captivity. The Holy Spirit wants to help you take your fleshly thoughts that we all have or have had and put them in their proper place. And that's captivity to Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, meaning we have a physical body, we do not wage war according to the flesh with human instruments, with self-reliance, with self-indulgence, with self-justification, by self-defense. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Notice Paul says there's a struggle. It's not what you're struggling with, church. It's how you struggle with what you're struggling with. Are you struggling in your flesh by yourself on your own? I'll do it. I got it. God, I'll see you later. I don't need you right now. Or are you struggling in the spirit? So the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, Holy Spirit, to destroy strongholds. Strongholds are you just have thought patterns that have put you in a prison because how you think is connected to how you live. So he says, we destroy arguments. Arguments, how do we get arguments? In our head, in our thoughts. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So that means when a thought comes into your head, you've got to ask yourself, is this of Christ or not of Christ? If it's not of Christ, you make it obedient to Christ. So, for example, if you've ever looked yourself in the mirror and said, I'm damaged goods, that is not from God. God did not die for damaged goods. Okay? If you've ever looked yourself in the mirror and said, there's nothing really wrong with me, I don't need God, that is not of God. Okay? So, you've got to begin to learn to distinguish thoughts of the spirit, thoughts of the flesh. Second result that we want to have in the, in the Holy Spirit is just victory. We want to begin to experience victory from God. 
And how do we do that? We have to recognize we are not obligated. We are not obligated. And we say that to ourselves. I am not obligated to, be, to condemn myself. I am not obligated by the, words, by the world's opinion of me or others' opinions of me. Those, these things make arguments that condemn me or these things give opinions that tempt me, but I am not obligated to them. And this is what the Holy Spirit does to facilitate victory. Jesus describes the operation of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 when he says, when the Spirit of truth... See, your thoughts can lie to you. The world can lie to you. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me. This is Jesus talking. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and will declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit speaks into us, into our mentality, our thoughts, our mindset. And therefore we, have, uh, we are no longer obligated to the voices of the flesh, but we can follow and listen and heed the voice of the Spirit. Three categories for how the Spirit tends to speak. He illuminates Jesus... Three ways. The Spirit points upward to the glory of Jesus. And what that means is in our thinking, we have to start giving more weight to what God is saying or has said than what the world says. So what's the most important thing that could happen to your fifth grader? That his best friend sitting next to him says, makes fun of him and judges him and laughs at him? Or are we training through the Holy Spirit our kids to look up and give weight that what God says about me is more important than what my classmate says about me? And there's the battle. But the Spirit points us to the weight and the glory of Jesus. The Spirit also points backwards. See, Satan will point backward and show you what you did last summer or 20 years ago or in your first marriage to condemn you. The Spirit will point you backwards, not to show you what you did, but to show you what Christ did for you on the cross. And your heart will well up with gratitude, and you are not condemned because that condemnation went on Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. And the Holy Spirit points forward and shows you that the promises of God are better than the promises of sin. The promises of God for future grace, future favor, are better, stronger than the promises of sin. So that's the voice of the Spirit, the thinking, the mindset the Spirit is trying to produce in us. But the voice of the flesh points inward. The voice of the flesh doesn't want, the voice of the flesh doesn't want anybody looking at Jesus. The voice of the flesh wants us looking at ourselves, asking questions of ourselves Doubting ourselves or trying to do it on our own, which the Bible has already clearly said, apart from me, you can do nothing, not by might or strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So here's one of the ways we can cooperate with God. And here's, this is so important because walking by the spirit is not like God puts a motorboat in you and he takes the wheel and drives it. It's more like the wind and we have to hoist, hoist our sails to go where the spirit blows. So it does take cooperation. Here's the one thing we can do. We can memorize the mind of God. You realize in Corinthians, God says, you and I, if you're a Christ follower, you have the mind of Christ. That means you can think the same thoughts. That in our finiteness, we can't think infinitely, but we can think the same thoughts of God. How do we do that? Who inspired the Bible? The Holy Spirit did. 
Who gives you the mind of Christ? The Holy Spirit does. Who will call things to your mind? The Holy Spirit will. How do you cooperate? Memorize the mind of God. Listen to this as we get in the armor of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. We take the helmet of salvation. Salvation, not condemnation. And the sword of the Spirit. So the only offensive weapon that you and I have in our struggle, which is God's Word. Which is God's Word. So we have to memorize the mind of God. Then Paul concludes this, this first little thought that we've been talking through in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. And ultimately, that's a warning of eternal separation from God. But there's the promise, but if by the Spirit you put to death. So you have to struggle by the Spirit. Notice he says you've got to fight death. You've got to fight the things that want to kill you and condemn you. You have to fight, church. A sign that you're actually a Christian is that you're actually struggling. Flesh your spirit, flesh your spirit, flesh your spirit. It's not so much what you're struggling with, it's how you're struggling. Flesh your spirit, flesh your spirit. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the work of the flesh, then you will live. So the third way we have to understand how the Spirit works and how to be led by the Spirit is this. We need to understand that our victory, and we have victory in Christ, usually comes not from the struggle, but in the struggle. Let me make sure you understand what I'm talking about. A lot of us... The way we think, the way we pray, God, take this away from me. Get it away from me. Most of the time, God does not deliver you from it, but in it. Meaning, the struggle is real. The struggle is here. The struggle is not going away. But victory is promised. Victory has been won for those who, by the Spirit, struggle against, fight against, and win against, put to death, the flesh. So what we have to do, and here's the opportunity we have today, is to add a however to our thinking. And that however is this. In Christ, here's who I am. In Christ, Here's what God has done on my behalf. In Christ, victory is assured. Because here's what I know. We'll walk out of these doors in just a few minutes, and we will have no problem thinking fleshly thoughts. We will have no problem thinking independent, self-reliant, doing things apart from God, not of faith. But we have to add a however to that. And then we give weight to what comes after the however. That it's by the Spirit. So the cul-de-sac of condemnation, we looked at it. Here's the cul-de-sac of victory. Consideration, choice, option, decision, discussion, which path, where do I go? Revelation. Here's what God has done in Christ and what God has said through the Word, the Holy Spirit inspired. That's revelation. You've got to add revelation to your mindset. That's the however Here's the flesh, here's the however, God's revelation. And then, yeah, there's capitulation, but instead of surrendering to your flesh, I'll do it my way, you surrender to the Spirit, I'll do it God's way, by God's power. And that is the way of celebration 
And that is the way of victory. And that is when we praise God. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. And I just want to ask you. Has there come a time in your life where you have given your life to Christ and learned to walk by the Spirit, not by your flesh? If you're tired of struggling and losing, if you're tired of struggling and fighting against God, then perhaps now is the time for you to receive all of who God is and all of what God has done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. God, we have no doubt that every person that is in this place today has a struggle or struggles. God, as you've shown us from your word, it is not so much what we're struggling with, but how we're struggling with it. God, I just pray that right now through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, there are other thoughts coming into our minds and our hearts, thoughts of you, Jesus, thoughts of what you did on the cross, thoughts of what you have done on our behalf. And God, that there could be surrender, there could be capitulation, not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. God, teach us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Teach us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And God, right now, there are people that your Holy Spirit is bringing to mind that they need to surrender fully and completely to be set free. They need to give their life to you to be set free and to become children of God, led by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, I pray that people right now would just say yes to you. Yes to you. Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking. I'm going to pause, church. We're going to stay quiet and still just to give you an opportunity to really tune in to the voice of God and what God might be saying to you in your struggle as we speak. And I pray you'll listen and you'll heed and obey in faith the voice of God and then we'll respond to God in just a minute. So we're going to be still to tune in to God's voice. God, we confess the struggle is real, but so are you. And greater are you who is in us than anything that the world can throw at us. God, we're going to respond to you right now. The front of our stages are all open for prayer. Wherever you're sitting, let that just be a place of remembrance or your own personal altar. But God, let us respond to your voice Let us fix our mind on your Son by your Spirit. And may we celebrate the fact that you're with us and that if we're a Christian, you're in us. You're in us by the power and presence of your Spirit. In your mighty name we pray, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.